0: welcome to episode 75 of no shot clock the chicago high school basketball podcast i'm michael o'brien from the chicago sun times here with joe henrickson of the city suburban hoops report how's it going joe
1: good mike and uh you know today we're gonna do something we've done i think we've done it every year at least one time where we Turn the podcast into a raw listener podcast by listening to the questions uh, that they ask. It's a full mailbag, full podcast after we do our our regular two takes.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, but we have, I think it was nearly thirty people sent questions. Some of them were left over because some questions were sent late last week. So. Like, if you guys, Phil Smith, some of the other regular askers, if you wondered why your question wasn't on, it's because we got it too late. So we've added that to the mailbag. We've got a huge stack here that we will get to in a second. First off, we are going to go with our two takes, and then it'll be all mailbag after that. Joe, you want to start us off?
1: Yeah, the first one is, you know, the this is sectional seating week, and, I'm you know, I've made a big point of in the past when they went away from all the coaches congregating, getting together for a seating meeting in one location where all the coaches were present, which I still don't get why they can't do. Uh, you know, and, and on that real quick, Mike. I mean, they. You think about it. They go and scout. They do all the summer stuff. They do all the, and you can't. You know, and I know that most of the coaches I talked to would re, would prefer it. So I don't know why they, they continue to go that route. But I've given up that that route. Uh, of going that way so it's just a plea uh to the high school coaches and i think most of you do it but some of you don't do it well enough and that's just doing a little bit of homework well first of all actually putting the seeds in because there are some coaches well i think should be penalized when they don't put their submit their seeds and but but do some homework put some effort into it i don't care if you're six and nineteen you know, your seeds matter just because you your season is not going the way you want it and you're putting less effort into the seeding process. It is important that you do. And along with that, I know strength of schedule is not looked at by some as a tool to seed teams, nor does the IHSA emphasize it as something to look at when seeding. But, boy, I, I just really believe in it. I, I, I think some of the records and win totals – when you really dive into it, which I do every year when I do my seating forecast that I just put out online yesterday uh, this week, so the, the the records are often misleading, man, and the win totals aren't what you know. There is a significant difference a lot of times between an 18 win team and a 14 win team based on who they play and who and specifically who they beat. I know a lot of coaches, and it's not—it is ignored. But I, I just really believe in it, and every other sport believes in it. When it comes to college, you know, rankings and seeding, and both football and basketball playoffs and NCAA tournament. So why not do a little bit of homework and do it in high school basketball as well?
0: Yeah, I think it's just dumb that they have coaches do it. Um, that's not their Co- jobs. Yeah, to seed. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing
1: well, who's going to see them?
0: I mean, the IHSA could do it. They could have someone in charge of it. They could have a committee of it. They could have a committee of ADs or principals that, you know, actually pay attention and look at it all. They could
1: ADs and principals do not pay attention.
0: They would, if there was a committee of five of them and it was their job to just, I
1: think the the IHSA has a lot more other challenges that they haven't been able to accomplish. This would be like a mountain compared to some of the things that I think have been ignored, but I, I get what you're saying. Um,
0: I don't think it would be hard at all to find five ADs to, to sit down and do this, knowing they were going to do it all year and they were paying attention to it. And if somebody does a lousy job, you boot them and replace them. I mean, any way you look at it, just have the director of basketball do it. There's a lot of – these coaches, they don't care about some marginal team in their sectional that isn't in their area, you know, and they're too busy to deal with it.
1: Well, that's why you meet in a in a room – it's it was fine before. You you met in a room. They they argued their points. They they listed their resume, and you see them.
0: And then they still voted based on who was in their conference and their little fiefdoms. And it, it's just not a good way to do things overall. I mean, it's flat. Yeah, I, I agree. It was better before. But it's I just... have a
1: hard time putting trust into an athletic director, or I mean, I feel like the high school coaches. I mean, I just don't. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, I'm not doing a poll of 400 athletic directors. I'm making a committee that and their big job is to seed the basketball tournament, and so they'll watch all year and pay attention to it
1: throughout the whole state.
0: Yeah, nah, well. I, mean, I mean, you divide it up into their districts or whatever, and you got or this, just five ads from the sectional, and they're in charge, or the other sectional from the super. I, who, there's a million ways you could do it. Or it'd be Maybe fine.
1: that way, well, you know, hey, here's the five from the, you know, Waukegan sectional or whatever it might be that you're in charge. Maybe I, I go that route, possibly.
0: Um, But, yeah, this way is just dumb. I don't blame the coaches. They've got enough going on. I mean. It's really not that hard, Mike, <laughs> to, 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 to
1: do a little homework. I mean, come on.
0: Yeah, but when you haven't seen the teams play, and most of them haven't, it's tough. Um, Well, the ADs aren't going to see him play. They will if it's their job, too. What
1: ADs are you? I mean, they're going to gymnastics meets and volleyball games. They're going to go and scout high school basketball games? Come on.
0: If it's their job to see the sectional, they should go see the teams. Yo,
1: the most thankless, toughest job in high school is the athletic
0: director. You can literally. I'd be fine with one guy doing it. That'd be kind of fun. Guy, we don't know. Just let me do it. No, I mean, just one AD from like the opposing sectional in the Super. It's his, so he doesn't have any skin in the game except they would kind of want it to be seated right, maybe. If you're in the, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's something fun. We can just yell at the wall and not know who it is. It's better than a bunch of assistant coaches getting into the computer system and willy nilly putting numbers next to people.
1: I would love to know the percentage of, of, you know, a 20-team sectional, let's just say, the percentage of coaches that spend a little bit of time. I think the ones that do have some teeth in the game are doing it um, because i talk talked to enough of them that are analyzing them and breaking it down and talking about it in the weeks leading up to it that they have a clue in, in various sectionals. Uh, but I just worry about those bottom half that truly don't care.
0: Yeah, it's a weird system. Um, My first uh, take, you know, it's on Niles North, who, um, you know, if you saw Joe, you should definitely read Joe's thing on the sectionals. Um, He broke down, I think, what did you rate the top eight in each or something like that? Um, But basically, it gives you a nice overview of everything. And in the, um, gotta keep forgetting what it is, Main East... Yeah, uh, Sectional. Yeah, it's like, I don't know why that won't stick in my head. It just seems so weird, I guess. Um, in the main East sectional, um, he's got Evanston number one, Niles North number two, Nutria number three. There's some discussion about that. Even some Nutria people think they should be ahead of Niles North. It does seem most likely that Evanston is going to get the number one seed. You know, they've played a really tough schedule. Um, but I really, you know, not so much about the sectional seeding isn't what I want to talk about Niles North with. It's just that I think this is a team that, maybe everyone is severely underrating and overlooking based on kind of what we thought early, you know, they were ranked really high, but, and yes, they haven't played the schedule Evanston has, you know, I'm not saying they have, but they also, unlike almost any other suburban team, they don't have any bad losses. You know, they haven't dropped that horrible game that a lot of the teams we've seen have. And they have so many seniors. They can score. You know, they got a little bit of size and rebounding. I think this team might be a team really able to make the Peoria run. We thought they would. Um, you know, the losses are they lost the last game at Evanston. But they beat Evanston at Naperville North pretty solidly. They, and they've won that matchup on aggregate. Uh, they lost at New Trier on a last-second shot. You know, I was at that game. It's extremely likely they'll turn around and beat them at home. And then they lost. They did lose at home to Maine South. It was by six points. So that's that's their worst loss of the season. I mean, there aren't many non-elite public league teams. I don't think there's any non-elite public league team that we, where we can say that their worst loss is Maine South. So I think we have to maybe... I just feel like we soured on Niles North a little bit. And I'm not sure, now looking back at their body of work, that it was really warranted at the time. And yeah, they did not play a meat grinder of a schedule. Maybe that'll bite them in the butt when it comes to the playoffs. But I feel like this senior group is really going to make a deep run. And I think we're going to see them in Peoria.
1: Yeah, I don't... I guess I'm disagreeing with the fact... And I think everybody who fouls it up there is knows they're a viable team that's going to potentially play in Peoria and win a sectional. I just uh, – I mean, they've been ranked high all year. They've – you mentioned the body of work. I mean, the, the Paul Prep win early in the year. I, I just really, when I did the sectional thing, broke it down, and I was really kind of surprised at the the amount of games that – you you mentioned no bad losses, and there's just – Boy, there's just not a lot of teams that were capable of knocking them off because they are they are talented. Uh, I, I was just surprised with their, their, their what their schedule looked like over the the whole 27-28 game schedule. Uh, that's the one thing that struck me. But no, I wouldn't be surprised if they're playing Peoria. I mean, whoever wins that sectional is going to win the Super. So. And I only think there's...
0: <laughs> I'm so scared to say big things like that this season.
1: Well, it was... <laughs> it's such a mess. The Lake Zurich uh, sectional is, is very weak. It's, uh, it's as bad as that's...
0: I know, but you know, Niles North, didn't they, they needed overtime to beat Libertyville.
1: I just think Niles North, you know, certain styles of systems could give them some problems. Uh, but, no, I just... Whoever wins that set, I think it's a... Uh, the, the second toughest, or first, it's either the first or second strongest sectional in the Chicago area. Yeah. And
0: I think it's the best. Yeah. we were, That's a question and, later we can talk to, but yeah. You're
1: going to have seven teams that are going to be 20 wins or more in that yeah. sectional. So, anyway, um, my second take is it's also going to be in print this week where in my, in my regular column, the three pointer that I do, but you know, all year long we've been talking about. You know just not a lot of individual players that have kind of just taken their teams, putting them on their shoulders and and carry it. and that happens quite often in March, over the years historically, that you know they get a hot hand, you ride a star and you're and you and you kind of disrupting things in March. And I get this feeling that Hinsdale South with Zion Griffin is capable of, of being that team and you know they've won eight of nine they had a big win over Willowbrook and that game struck out to me stuck stuck out to me because Zion Griffin I think he had 39 points and 17 rebounds in that game he's averaged 29 and a half points a game in his last three you know he's putting up some strong numbers overall 21 22 a game eight nine rebounds a game but anybody who has seen Zion Griffin particularly during the summer, knows the explosiveness and dynamic ability he has of of, of taking over games. and in, in high school, when you're six, 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 and a half, that athletic, that talented, you know he's a factor in a lot of ways. on the glass, his you know is uh, tremendous athleticism above the rim play that you know most teams don't even have anybody like that. And he can stretch it out and he's shooting thirty five percent from three. he's knocked down. 35 threes on the year. I I just get this feeling that, you know, Hinsdale South is not going to be a top two seed or top three seed probably in that sectional, which is at uh, Glenbard East this year, the sectional. But Naperville North, Bennett, and Wheaton South are probably going to be the top three because of the win totals and whatever. But Hinsdale South with Zion Griffin is the type of player that could really, really – carry a team in March and just the way he's been playing lately. That's kind of stuck out, stuck out to me.
0: Yeah, boy, I could not agree more. Uh, Regular readers of the notebook will know that although I don't have instill South ranked and haven't in a while, you know, I like that team. I've seen them a lot. I like the way they move the ball. You know, even when Zion Griffin isn't playing at that super high next level, they're still a really good team. You know, I I agree a hundred percent and you do see those, you know, the games I was at, there've been like quarters, where Zion Griffin has looked amazing. You know, he hasn't put it together when I've been there for a whole game. It looks like he's doing that more recently. But yeah, you're right. It's so easy to see that happening. That is definitely a large possibility. I think Ryan Davis and Conant too are another lower seated team that maybe has that ability. But uh, my next up is not so much an opinion, really. I, I'm kind of puzzled. I don't know. I'm wondering what people think. I'm wondering what you think, Joe. These public league quarterfinals, um, we got a question Phil Smith was asking about it, but I've had a lot of other people asking as well, why aren't they at a neutral site? You know, for a lot of years, it was always at UIC. Big. It was kind of a regular tradition that that round would always be at UIC. That um, lasted under always under Calvin, and I think under Calvin Davis, a couple of the other CPS sports directors. Then, for a little while, it was at a high school. I think Young might have hosted one year, Corliss did one year, um... They had the, the quarterfinal games. And I think this is the second year of them being in the back in the high schools. I think that is a uh, the, the new um, sports administration guy has taken them back there, Tony McCoy. But I don't know how I feel about it, really. You know, generally, long-time listeners will know I'm always in favor of games in high school gyms. But at this point, I'm going to admit it seems a little weird to me, you know, that you've got, like, the third home game in the playoffs, you know... I think at this point, getting that home court advantage, I think you've kind of already had enough of a home court advantage, in a way. That This is the city tournament, and I'm not sure it's really fair that these teams are playing at home still. I guess it does make the regular season important. Um, also, you know, there's just some places where the games are going to be kind of lame. You know, I'm going to go to Morgan Park and Young, and the atmosphere at Young's never good. So I'm really not looking forward to that. I'm sure it'll be fun some other places, but I'm a little puzzled. I guess I'd be very interested in hearing what the reader, readers, and listeners think where they would like it to be, and what what do you think, Joe?
1: I think the the readers, listeners, I think they would love as a fan at a site like UIC or University of Chicago, or I don't know, name your site where they bring them together and they play four games. And from my perspective, who would love to see? I mean, now I got to pick and choose one game out of four—you know, pretty good quality quarterfinal games. Pick and choose to see one. I think it becomes more of an event when you have all four together in one site. But I like, like you mentioned, I prefer them in high school gyms. So it leaves you. Where is that venue in the city in the public league that would be terrific to have all these games in? Because you know. I think there'd be more. I think there'd be they're gonna be well attended if you have all four games. Uh, I just, what, what gym would you do it in? If, if you if you did a high school, you know, one day on a yeah. Saturday, four games in a high school gym. What is the best gym for all these schools to come to and play in, and be good for fans and things like that? I, I don't know. I mean, I. Theoretically, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be one of the eight schools, but.
0: Yeah, ideally it wouldn't be.
1: But right, but then you're, yeah. I mean, you might be stuck with, I don't know, I just seeding, you know, getting fans in. Because, I mean, they, they, those years, they've gotten some good crowds at those, you know, and they had it at one site. There's been years where they've been some some very good crowds yeah. for the quarterfinals. So then you're kind of pushing fans away. So I, I don't know, like you. Puzzled is a good word because I don't, I can't put my finger on exactly what I would want, ideally. Uh, so I, I guess a gun to your head. What, what, what do you do? What, what would you say?
0: I'd, would go back to, um, one day to the pavilion. Yeah, I know the kids really liked that too. It felt like an, an accomplishment. It was a big deal to get to that. You yeah. know, yeah. I
1: mean, I, I agree with you. There. I mean, I agree with you if you told me, even though I prefer high school. If there was a great high school gym that would be able to seat fans, then okay. Um, but I do like it all. One one day, one – that would be a great, fun basketball smorgasbord.
0: You know, as far as that goes, I mean, Whitney Young does meet the criteria. You know, they can have two sides of bleachers. They have good parking. It's centrally located. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think if you're going to pick a high school, Corliss was nice gym-wise, but it's just so far south, and the parking situation's not great. So I think Young kind of wins. You know, everything works at Collins, too. There's a nice—we have both sides, and parking's fine there. It's not a great neighborhood. Some people might not want to come, and it it is hardcore west side. So I kind of feel like if you had to pick a high school—
1: Yeah, Young is probably the most ideal spot. Yeah, Young is good is there a reason given why they're not Why they've gone away from
0: uh, Tony McCoy doesn't talk to anybody. So no one has any idea. Nothing's filtered through. Yeah, the... No, I guess the other thing would be at DePaul. You know, I've had some fans tell me they, they're really upset that the semifinals left. That used to be traditionally, you know, on campus at DePaul at the, what is it? McGrath um, yeah. thing. That was always fun. That's a great size for it. You know, parking's yeah, bad there. a great there. size.
1: Um, like the parking's awful. Yeah. The other part is, I don't know, I've always, you go to the central location thing, like, more or less, they're all west and south side schools, traipsing up to Lincoln Park, for the most part, you know, usually, so, I don't, I don't know, I like to keep it closer to the neighborhoods, that's why UIC is a nice spot, to be honest, I mean,
0: yeah. Or,
1: or the new DePaul Arena. I mean.
0: Oh, it's all supposed to be there, Joe. This time last yeah. year, that's what I was telling everybody. Oh, boy. I need to, some time to work on that. But all right. So we'll, we'll see how that all goes. But I guess we let's, let's, let's hit this stack of questions before uh, it all goes away. Um, first up is from Douglas Hammer. He says Give me a class 1A breakdown. 1A mm-hmm. fans are people too. Who can beat Providence St. Mel prior to the Super Sectional? Gets researching. Amandala Charter is a top seed in the Arlington Heights Regional. Amandala Charter, I need some intelligence. Um, well, <laughs> Amandala's 12-1. and one. They're first in the Blue South. They've not played anyone where I can really base much of a judgment on. Kind of the best I can work my way through with a lot of these teams is some of them played someone who played Corliss. <laughs> and so I, I can sort of base it off that I would say that's when I kind of looked and decided that Doug, this isn't worth my time anymore. I, I really don't think anyone can beat Providence Saint Mel prior to the super sectional.
1: Yeah, and you know we've I've, we've actually talked a little one a basketball. We've talked a little Aurora Christian. Uh,
0: Joe, I covered Rochelle Zell <laughs> and uh, Aurora yeah. Christian. So yes, it, it,
1: it, I do have a storyline, Mike, to uh, follow. All right. A 1A storyline that has nothing to do with the Chicago area. But I just found it fascinating in my 1A research. Uh, So, I mean, Aurora Christian was number one in the state, you know, undefeated. They lost to Winnebago, which is a really good class 2A school. So, Aurora Christian has got a shot at being a 1A state champion. But there's a school down in, well, Depew, Illinois. It's between Princeton and LaSalle along Interstate 80. They're 23 or 24 and 1. Their only loss is to some team outside of the state in Missouri, but I just found it interesting because somebody noted it to me. So the school report card that breaks down every school in the state of Illinois, you know, gives all their, um, all the numbers for the school and they are 85% Hispanic. They're the number three ranked team in class one a, and I was just browsing through their roster and from Perez to Raya to Moreno to Hurtada to Quintana to Lopez, Villa Gomez, and Puga. And then there's this the big man that seems to score a lot of the points is Raheem McKee-Strong. So to me, it's just quite a story and that. It's just something you do not see uh, in basketball, and that is just this large, populated Hispanic population with this basketball giant. And here they are in 1A in Little, little to Pew, Illinois. Uh, they're actually called the Little Giants, so I guess I should call them the better nickname. The Little Giants. You know, They won their first regional last year in 30 years. And, here, and again, they're a team that's highly ranked, could be playing in Peoria. And I just found it fascinating here in 1A that there is this team that, uh, you know, that with the school that's 85% Hispanic that has become this basketball power. It's just something you just don't see very much of. There's my 1A tidbit.
0: Maybe uh they'll win one A and then Brian Hernandez will hit the game winner in two A and it'll be an all Hispanic small school weekend. Yeah. Uh, uh all right. I guess I don't know. You one a I mean, Rochelle Zell wasn't bad. I mean you don't I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't take them lightly. The Grant Primer kid could play. I was impressed with him. You know, they didn't have much else. But yeah, Providence Amel in that sectional, it's hard to see. To me, anybody else. Man- and the,
1: the, my Depew Little Giants would meet Aurora Christian in the Ooh. Ottawa Ottawa Marquette sectional.
0: Oh, and that's a gym. I, oh, it's Ottawa Marquette, not Ottawa. Yeah, yeah no. no. Not the gym I want to see. All right, next up is Phil Smith. Um, his first question was about the quarterfinals, which I talked about a bit. Um, Phil just says he remembers growing up, watching all four games at the Pavilion, and it was a great atmosphere. So maybe that... I wonder how long that was going on then. Um, I know it was like my first 15 years on the beat. so.
1: All I remember in eh, maybe it was the semifinals. Um, I can't remember. But when I was in high school, I went and saw Jamie Brandon play uh, 1990. I, I don't know if that was a quarterfinals or semis.
0: Yeah, you know, I, was at the- I, I think the semis used to be there back then because I remember going to that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I could be wrong. Um, all right, next question. Um, This one is kind of directed at Joe. He says, Another prep kid gets a high major offer. Demarius Jacobs got an offer from Illinois last week. I saw him a lot in high school. Has he reached the level of legit high major status? Why is this becoming so relevant with kids that were low to mid-major D1 kids coming out of high school? If this trend continues, will we see kids not take high school basketball seriously and think the prep school will solve all their answers? Why are players so fascinated by high-major D1s versus mid-major D1s?
1: Well, that's self-explanatory. I mean, they're on ESPN and they're talked about all the time. So that's why they want to play at the highest level. Uh, Demar- as far as Demarius Jacobs, you know, he-, he played AAU following his high school season last year. And at moments... Had moments where he flashed high major type of ability and athleticism and length, and he played with the fire. He, he, you know, academically, I mean, originally he was going to go to Southern Illinois, got out of there because I don't think he's going to make that. And that's part of the prep school route, is just to clear up some academic hurdles a lot of times, as opposed to, you know, 15, 25 years ago, it was always JUCO, junior colleges. But, no, I I don't, I, I do think. There, it's just such a wide spectrum and wide thing to discuss as far as recruiting because prep school, I mean, sometimes they're not physically ready to develop. You add one year, Mike, to any kid, I mean, it's a huge difference. Uh, that's why transfers are so coveted because they get that one extra year. You sit out in college basketball and you're a fourth-year junior, fifth-year senior, and, you know, you're just, it's a huge year development-wise. I get calls all the time from college coaches on prep school kids and junior college kids who I haven't seen playing 12 to 18 to 24 months, just to ask me what I thought about him 12, 24 months ago. Uh, but I don't, you know, I haven't seen Demaris Jacobs play since last spring. And, you know, after watching him last spring and then thinking about a full year of playing, it was not out of reach for me to consider him a high major. Um, you know, and, and also I'm not saying Illinois is desperate, but I, I, that does go to schools due to go on that road as well. I mean, everybody that goes high major is not necessarily a high major player. I mean, that's just been proven. So I don't
0: yeah, know. Yeah. There's a wide high major is Kansas and high major is Illinois. And right now those are two different worlds.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, and it, I,
0: it, I thought I he was. Know. I thought he was great last year. To me, he was a no-brainer. I mean, he wasn't a blue-blood guy, or you know, going to go to Michigan State or Kentucky or something. But to me, those low-high majors, I thought Demarius Jacobs was easily that good last year. It was year. all.
1: It was always about his motor and energy and passive, just kind of going through the motions, which kind of happened throughout his career. I mean, that was the big hang-up with
0: him. Um, I think kind of more interesting is Illinois just offered Austin Trice who even some big fans might not remember, um, he was a big kid. I don't know, how was he, 6'9 or something? Uh, was at Hales, and then when Hales closed, he went over to Morgan Park.
1: Um, yeah, that one, I...
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, uh, <laughs> that's a, I... A, a, I mean, not to get too Illini-based here, but to me, this is part of their problem. I mean, there's like six Austin trices you could take in high school right now. I, yeah, I, I don't that's,
1: get it. That's yeah. a different road to go down than, I mean. Yeah.
0: anyway, but, so you, it'd be funny if Demarius Jacobs and Austin Trice run Illinois next year. <laughs> Just weird.
1: I don't know if that'd be funny for Illinois,
0: <laughs> <but>. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a... Uh... Anyway, um, next up is True Hooper. He says, if the best team won each sectional in 4A, what would be the top three super sectionals and why? What sectional in 4A would have the best four teams across the board if they all advance to sectionals, Pekin or RB? Um, Well, first off, yeah, I don't think RB, I think RB's fallen off. I I don't even... Well,
1: I mean, your top four, I mean, Young, Curie, Fenwick, yeah. Yeah, it's fallen off. I mean, some of those teams are are not anywhere near either what they've been in the past or what we thought they'd be this year. Um
0: Yeah, I think I just think Romeoville even is a little bit deeper, maybe.
1: Yeah, I won't go there, but I know Joliet's there, but <laughs> I I no I don't I don't say that. You know, Pekin, Pekin's pretty Pekin for sure is. The problem is it's stupid. Like I it's just the question with the subsectional? How stupid it is?
0: Um yeah, that that was or, coming later. First he wanted the the um if the best team won in each sectional, what would the top three supers be? Um, I guess we can. I mean, you look. Like, like, did you do? I'll give you some pro- I mean, projected supers.
1: Well, I mean, it's, I mean, Simeon versus Curie is gonna be the best, or Young, or
0: Young. Uh, and I don't I think that's bad. I, we've already seen that movie twice. Well,
1: I, I think he's asking, though, the best matchup. I mean, the best...
0: Yeah, I don't think that's a good matchup. I mean, Simian Well, Bruce I Simian. would
1: rather watch Simeon Curie than... I'm sorry, than...
0: Libertyville, Niles North?
1: Libertyville, Niles North.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't ever want to watch the Simeon team play this Curie team again. Um, I've had to do it twice. No thanks. Um,
1: yeah, a third time would stink. I think... Uh, uh, you know, Naperville North larkin do it for you
0: <laughs> yeah uh, i mean I, I think the best one might be B- belleville west against Bolingbrook or west aurora probably to me fun. that would be for that that would be at isu that'd be um, fun yeah that'd uh, be an interesting game
1: simeon young would be all right
0: yeah simeon young would be great um 100 percent. especially if we don't see it um in the city tournament you know it's a yeah, that that'd be really good, and Leia, like you said, we'd have Larkin against who knows. Naperville North, Bennett, Hinsdale South, and then it's the big mess of the Liberty don't
1: forget Wheaton don't forget Wheaton South. Oh, I don't I don't I don't want anybody yelling at me.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they're commenting right now on why they, as we speak and why they aren't ranked. Um, but yeah, so I guess those would be the the top ones. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder where I would wind up. Um,
1: the super in three A uh oh no forget it (laughs) scratch that
0: yeah but he goes on to talk about how it's it stinks the pecan as a subsectional danville normal west and bloomington can't all make the sectional because of the stupid subsectionals they need to get rid of that team's chances of reaching a sectional should should be based off their body of work not a few miles um that does seem weird considering the driving that goes on up here
1: yeah and some sectionals of uh, submitted to the IHSA as a whole that they wanted to get rid of the subsectional. I believe the Jacobs sectional did that or schools, and they yeah. still said no to it, I think. So, I mean, there is a lot of driving in that particular sectional with Pekin. I mean, I don't... I mean, you're going from Collinsville and Belleville and Edwardsville to, you know, Danville or wherever you go. I mean, that's that's all the way out to the Quad Cities. I don't know what you do with that. I mean, that's, that is... I, I I don't know that's for them to figure out but
0: yeah that's bad as far as the, the sectional rankings I I mean this is gonna sound weird I guess but I think even the Glenbard East one is deeper than RB or, I mean RB what's 7 eight, nine you got York and St Joe's and RB
1: yeah I mean if you're talking depth
0: and Glenbard East you got Batavia Naperville Central and Downers North who I would take I and mean, they just don't have the elite
1: no, I, I still take R B sectional as I mean if exactly. I'm ranking them I'd probably go in Nile uh Maine, Maine East. East one, R B two, uh, probably Glenbard East three.
0: Yeah, I just I really don't like R B after to the top.
1: I mean it's, well, all, I, it,
0: it's and then the other
1: thing I look at with sectionals is can anyone beat the top teams is they're going to be. I mean, who could pull an upset? York, kind of with their moldy style, you know, the way they play could put a scare into somebody. I, I could see that their guard plays good. You know, they could hang with the team. Um,
0: I mean, I suppose RB has beaten Fenwick and Lincoln Park has beaten young.
1: Yeah. But again, we're talking about teams that have kind of, you know, Lincoln Park's fallen off a bit. Uh, Ignatius hasn't had the season. I thought they'd have, Provides Luis is interesting. I've seen them a few times, and they're a nice team. I can't see them beating the top teams. Uh, and then there's just zero drama in that Thornton sectional. None. Yeah,
0: yeah that that's a rough one. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. All right, let's see. What do we got next here? Patrick Swambu, greetings. I have two questions today. First, Simeon is a senior-heavy team that will lose a lot to graduation. I know it's a bit early for previewing teams for next season, but I can't help but wonder what they have for next season. Besides Ahmad Bynum and any transfers they bring in, what else does Simeon have waiting? Well, uh, you Good. left out Kwan Clements.
1: Good question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> on, paper right, on paper right now, heading into next season, it's arguably, maybe not even arguably, the least talented team in Coach Robert Smith's tenure there.
0: 100%. Yeah, I've got your starting lineup I mean, for next year.
1: Ah- Ahmad Bynum, Juan <laughs> <Lawrence laughs> Clements, uh, Sincere Callwood is a 6'6 sophomore who's going to be pretty good. Uh, Bryce Hall is a 6'2 sophomore who's who can score a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I...
0: Jeremiah Stamps would be the other guy. He's played this year a bit, 6'7 um, junior. So, they do got some size, three decent guards. But yeah, this does not sound like Simeon. This sounds like a,
1: uh, Ahmad to Juan Clements is a good place to start for any normal team.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, that's a good uh, way to say it. Yes. This sounds <laughs> like a, a more normal, good public league team. But, I mean, a lot of schools would kill for that starting five. Um, yeah. I mean, with
1: that starting five, there's still a preseason top for sure. Top eight, top, probably top five. right? I mean, I know we haven't broke it down next year, but no, i I don't. Think I've done,
0: I don't think that team's top five.
1: Wait, wait till you start doing your homework. As as we talked about this weekend, we were Joe. You can't have at, them number
0: one. <laughs>
1: okay. at, at, no, it, no, but this is the worst. This is another podcast take, but the worst we've seen. I'm telling you, next year in the Chicago Public League, the worst we've seen.
0: Yeah, it's still, I still don't think this is top five.
1: Well, just real quick off the top of your head. I mean, Curie's going to be pretty good. Young's going to be pretty good.
0: Bogan's got Wau- everybody back.
1: Morgan Park, Park and Bogan. Yeah. There's four. What suburban team's better? Waukegan, H- Wau- F- Wau- man. <laughs>
0: Wau- uh, Downers North has everybody back. Um, who? There's someone else we're forgetting. Um, HF. The game I just saw where there were no oh, Farragut's got everybody back. They're um, top.
1: They're going to be a top ten team.
0: Yeah, not. not I just don't think the top five. This, this yeah, group prob- would be prob-
1: probably not with yeah. that. No. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, it'd be an interesting <laughs> to watch to see what all because I mean, Quan Clements dropped thirty the other day <laughs> against uh, in one of the first or second round games. We just haven't seen him have to score at all. Um, so yeah, it would be an interesting group. But yeah, you can bet that there'll be some. Uh, additions. Uh, second question here from Patrick is, former Lockport standout Alando Tucker was recently hired by Wisconsin to be their new director of student-athlete engagement. After having a great high school and college career, he gets to return to Madison. What other schools were in the mix for him before he committed, and what was his state rank as a senior?
1: I tried to do homework on the recruiting, and I didn't get very far. I didn't put a lot of effort into it, I'll admit. I will say that in the 20 years of the City of Roman Hoops Report, Alano Tucker falls into a top five category. Top five all-time Hoops Report misses. And actually, the two two of the biggest, were, I think they're in the same class, the other was on uh, Igudala at Springfield-Lanfare. But uh, Tucker was not heavily recruited, though. I mean, a lot of people believe that was a reach. But Wisconsin also wasn't...
0: Exactly. Wisconsin people think he was maybe their most important player ever. I mean,
1: Wisconsin was not the Wisconsin that it is now. And he did go on to have... I mean, he's a Big Ten MVP, I believe. Yeah, they Uh, they
0: think he changed kind of the whole, you know... What's the word I'm looking for here? The The whole way the program went. Change. I was doing a lot of Valando Tucker googling. They think he might be one of the best players in school history, and they think he kind of led to this whole basketball renaissance they've had.
1: Yeah. So I mean, uh, where he was ranked? I think he was ranked like tenth in the class. I'd have to go back and look at the you like, right in that area. It's a good. So. It's a
0: good list. Yeah, I, I did. I looked. Um, high school elite. Frank shut out. shutout. Um, that is still up on the internet, uh, so you can check out a lot of the early two thousand rankings. He had Andrea Guadala number one. D Brown, number two, Sean Dockery, number three, Marcus White, number four, who some might not remember, Michael Thompson, number five, James Augustine, number six, and Alando Tucker, number seven. Um, that also says a lot about, you know, Joe was talking about how, for whatever reason, Alando Tucker was a miss for him, but uh, uh, the reason Alando Tucker's profile was so low was that, just on this list, he was the third best player in his own area, you know, which is really weird. Um, you know, with Michael Thompson and James Augustine, and then the Joliet team didn't have anyone as good as him, but kept beating him. I think I've said before on the podcast that Lockport team was really great. They only had six losses his senior year, and four of them were to the Joliet team. Um, so they were probably a top 10 team in the state, but didn't really get that kind of credit. Um, I didn't know he had gotten this job, Alando Tucker. That's interesting. Yeah, they
1: just he did just get that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. Oh, that was when basketball was good. Um,
0: yeah, you like that top seven, <laughs> and you should have seen—we could have gone on, and it would have been better. But Alano, oh, uh, I saw most an awful lot of Alano Tucker's high school career. You know, being down there in the Joliet area, he's only a couple blocks away from having gone to Joliet Central. But um, he was well, my, just fantastic.
1: Yeah, my 2002 All State team—I just pulled it up. Um, now there's some juniors mixed in there, but Alano Tucker was—I did a ten-team All State team. D. Brown. And Shannon Brown, who was a junior, Sean Dockery, Rick Harrigan from Brother Ice, oh, all, yes. all state, Igudala Marcus White, Orlando Tucker, Michael Thompson, yeah. uh, who was a senior at Providence, Elliot Poole at Farragut, and Richard McBride, who was a junior at Springfield Landfair. So, you know, and there were some good guys. And I mean, Damian Mason, Brian Randall, um, you know, Joe Chapman at Bloom, so I had Boy, oh boy, it's so different, isn't that weird?
0: Oh, that that year just gets me going. It's you know, Joliet was the number one team for a large part of that season, and that Michael Thompson is a Joliet kid. His mother actually worked at Joliet Central, but because of weird politics, he wound up at Providence. As I said, Tucker was a few blocks over. The number one team that was Joliet that ended up losing uh, to Thornwood in the Super could easily had the McDonald's All American Michael Thompson in the middle. Should have, probably. And then Alanda... Anyway. (laughs) Whoa. Ah, Fun times, though. No doubt about it. All right. Next up, Alex Ruff. This question occurred to me as I stopped in at a fundraiser for a private school in my area. With the number of students going to private schools dropping, do you foresee in the next five or ten years the number of private school basketball teams dropping significantly, and with that, could we be left with super teams from the schools merging or closing? We kind of saw it in football when Driscoll closed and a majority of its players went to Montini when they went on that state championship run. Um, I I think this one's kind of easily answered because we already saw Seton close, and those kids all went to public schools.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some schools hanging on by a thread. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about Leo, you know, over the years, kind of just hanging in there uh i've heard things about desales sales closing though you know to this to the questioner's point is we're talking about schools that would have some talent that would be transferred going to new schools you know that driscoll montini things it's a little different in that they were both football powerhouses right near one another for those families and students to consider so a little bit different but yeah i I mean, what school with basketball talent is close to closing?
0: St. Joe's.
1: I don't know if they're quite on life support. I mean, yes, they're not.
0: I think it's pretty bad. Um, and I think if Pingator left, they'd be in big trouble. Um...
1: I mean, Leo's always been talked about.
0: Yeah, they're definitely uh, close. They've got a group of men, from what I understand, kind of keeping that place together that are – Little old well, there.
1: and then Hales, um, but there wasn't a lot of players there before when they, it's kind of weird. There wasn't a ton of basketball players when they,
0: no, like Austin Trice went to Morgan Park. We we've seen when this happens, those kids get scooped up by the public powers. If they're any mm-hmm. good, I would guess, I guess Javon Freeman almost went to the Paul prep. Um, yeah, and I, I guess we're going to have a lot of school. You know, all the Actually, that news came out today. The Englewood schools that were supposed to close aren't closing now. Uh, Hope, um, yeah, that's John Hope, and um, Team Englewood and Harper are going to keep their kids. So it's going to be really weird. Like, if you started there, you can go to the new Englewood High School if you want, but you don't have to. So I don't know what that's going to mean for basketball. Eventually, we might just have one class of kids at those schools. Are they going to have teams? Who knows what's going on there? Um, but yeah, I don't see any private school super teams coming. I don't know how about you, Joe? No. Okay. Um. Next up, Dan O'Connor. Is Talon Horton Tucker the hardest player to guard this year? How does he rank all time? I've been impressed with him since I first saw him play in fifth grade. But boy, has he raised his game to unprecedented heights this year.
1: Where does he rank all time?
0: He, well, first, I guess he's the hardest player to guard this year.
1: I think he's the most versatile. I mean when you consider that he can create off the dribble, not just for himself, but also as a, his most underrated tool, which is passing terrific passer, uh, and that he's got terrific range on his on his jumper, yeah, and he's got a bigger body to kind of finish around the rim, yeah, I think he is the most difficult player to defend. He's also become more what's the, more green lightish. Uh, compared to maybe some others. I mean, he's got a green light. I mean, he will put some shots up, which is a little uncharacteristic for, you know, a Simeon player. And I think that's a lot of a necessity in some cases. But, yeah, I think he is uh, the most difficult player to defend.
0: I think that's hard to say because Simeon has so many weapons that, you know, nobody's really just focused on him um, in the games I've seen. You can't really afford to do that. Whereas some of the players I've seen this year – you know the whole team has focused on them. They still haven't been stopped. I'm thinking about Ryan Davis, um, but you know I haven't seen a super great team try and play him, so it's difficult. Um, that's one of the things where high school basketball gets weird. I mean, you look at that Simeon team. If you if Taylor Horn Tucker, if you take him out of the game, you're still not going to win. You
1: no, know? but my question is just watching him as a player, all the things he can do, just as a physical standpoint from a basketball perspective. He does more things than any top player. It's just he does. He does, um,
0: yeah. I mean, I'd make him shoot if I could and see if he has an off day. But, yeah. And, oh, where does he rank all time?
1: I mean, he's not one of the all time greats, but he is. I tell you what, though, he is going. I, I would uh, go to the bank and I will say he will have a terrific. To re- outstanding college career at Iowa State, and another one in four years. I really think Illinois fans are gonna be like, "Ugh!"
0: I don't think it's gonna take four years, but yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just I, I think the world of him. I think I, I love how he projects. Uh, there, there's a and there's a lot of mis- it's like misnomers about Talon Horton Tucker and what he is. I mean, if I hear one more thing about him being an undersized foreman from certain fans, <laughs> um, anybody who can dribble, pass, and shoot is not a foreman. I mean, in today's college basketball world, they can go small and you can live. It's like the luxury of having a Talon Horton Tucker because of his body type and what he can do to versatile, versatile-wise. Uh, but you can go small and put him in the four spot. And for and way college basketball is played today, but he is a multi-dimensional, productive player who I think can play the two, three, or the four, and even be a point forward at times.
0: But he's he's almost like the high school Malik Yarbrough.
1: <laughs> Plays a little harder, but yeah.
0: But no, they have similar builds and games like that. Um, you know, Taylor will probably be better, but um, yeah, I agree. I don't even I don't remember if I went on this rant or not, but. You know, I was not a huge Talen Horton Tucker believer last year. Um, a lot of people, you know, I didn't, it's not like I disliked his game or anything. It was just so much about potential a lot last year. And a lot of people were more confident, I guess, than I was that he was going to reach this level. I just, I needed to see it. You know, I'm, I've been burned too many times by hearing about potential and boy, has the, he done it. I mean, but it's... the
1: difference, Mike potential, and I get what you're saying, but a lot of times that potential is based on size, athleticism, raw, that kind of thing. But what he had all along, it was just kind of there, and, and that so many kids, we've talked about it on this podcast. We, we've, we, we've written about it. The lack of skill in a player today is just, it's, it's just clear as day of the, the deficiencies that players have. And no matter when Taylor was a pudgy little freshman to the point where he is now, he always could do what I keep saying, dribble, pass, and shoot. And when you have that skill level as your base, as your foundation, it's a lot easier to project and say, you know what, he is going to become this player. It's just all got to come together for him mentally and and opportunity and all these other things. But that's the one thing, you know, I, I get what you're saying about the potential. But so many times we talk about potential, it's always based on, like, you know, great speed, athleticism, body types, that type of thing. But with Talon Horton Tucker, it was just – that skill levels is was pretty special.
0: And he always had a good motor. You know, he he wasn't one of those guys that was just standing there looking like he was going to be a college player. He always played hard when he was in. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess that would have been a nice reason to – but, yeah, I've been convinced this year 100%. Um, he's definitely – I mean, I – even if you'd have told me he was going to have a good senior year and kind of live up to my expectations – or to the biggest expectations people's had, he's even outdone that, I think, um, in my mind at least. It's been quite well, a
1: year. I, I think he's scoring more than I even thought he would. yeah you know I, I wouldn't have guessed to be a 20 plus you know, and I know I don't know what his numbers are exactly, but but yeah, uh, I agree.
0: All right, next up, um, Bryant. He says, hi, it's T-Dog from Bloomington. I had one of the leftover questions from last week. Um, Coach Neil Alexander from Lincoln picked up his 800th career win this past Friday. I was just wondering how many other current coaches around the state even come close to joining this elite group?
1: Not many. Uh, I tweeted out something I misworded it. I, I tweeted out that Alexander was going for 800 to win, and I misworded it saying he would be the fifth coach. I meant to say there was five that I knew of, and he would be the sixth. Gene Pingator has got over 1,000 career wins. Uh, the longtime Rockford Boylan coach, Steve Gores, uh, the legendary Dick Van Sayek, you know, Peoria Manual teams, Arthur Trout, the Centralia coach in the first half of the 19th century, uh, and then Gordy Kirkman, the most recent, you know, he just retired West Roar, uh, coach. He ended up with 805. Uh, so Alexander, as far as my count is, is the sixth coach, you know, to, to get that number. Uh, I think Mike Flaherty came just short. We used to coach at Mendel Catholic Thornridge, Mount Carmel. Yeah, 700 and something, I know. See, um,
0: see, that's what I'm, you know, I was looking it up, and I, I think we don't have his total. He's at 779, but there are years <laughs> missing.
1: Okay, so maybe he is over hundred.
0: Yeah, he could be. Um, I, I was looking for that just earlier today, I'm trying to get it.
1: I do think the fact, and we've, I think we've discussed this too, I've made a, I think it's been one of my past um, takes, is that, the day that we see these types of coaching win totals approaching 700, 800, 900, they're going to be far and few between. I mean, they, they already are already are just because of the sheer number of wins, but there just isn't very many lifers um, in coaching that you. There a lot of guys that are getting out quicker. Uh, a lot of guys are not planning on going beyond like you know, 55, 58 years old. And part of it is because the grind of the season is different now than it was 40 years ago. I mean, the season, I mean 12 months. Uh, And then, you know, a lot of the hassles that come with the job. Uh, Parents have always been a problem for high school coaches. There's no question. But I think that has intensified over the years and uh, the magnitude and how that weighs on coaches. So what I'm saying is I just – these numbers are never – I don't think they're ever going to be approached, um, these type of win totals.
0: Yeah, I don't – I feel bad about the Flaherty thing. You know, the news that he was retiring, I kind of knew it was happening, but he actually did it in, like, early April. And just for my life, when people do things in early April – it's not good if you want a story in the newspaper. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I'm generally on vacation somewhere. And so I didn't really get into it. And as I was looking today, and the Beverly Review, you know, paper on the South Side, has Flaherty with 750, which is totally wrong. The IHSA has 779. And that's, it says the years they're missing, so you'd have to go back and look. But I think he might have it if he's only 21 away and they're missing full years. Um, and it's a shame that nobody knows that because everybody else got really celebrated you know, for that mark, which says an right. a lot about Flaherty too, that he never bothered to a uh, right care about that. Hey, sort of stuff. hey look, at, look at me. Look at me. <laughs> exactly. He was never that kind of guy. Uh, one of my favorite coaches to his teams to watch, boy, he would take a bunch of kids from Thornridge. that would have one kid going to a junior college, nobody else going anywhere against a Joliet township team with like four players going to play D one somewhere. And he'd, either come close to beating us or actually beat us and drive me insane. (laughs) It used to just, I hated my teams playing against that guy's teams. And then when I got to know him, talking to him after games, you know, he was the kind of coach who said the honest thing. And boy, did his kids love playing for him. The kind of kids who sometimes can be rough to coach. And the way they talked about Mike Flaherty was always kind of very impressive to me. I think for a lot of reasons, he isn't talked about with some of the other names even with the wins he has up there, he doesn't kind of get their respect, and he should. Um, next up is John Hill. I know John from Twitter. He is the uh, looks like he's the TF South Girls basketball coach. John says, "What team do you guys feel like in Illinois has the best chance of taking down Simeon this year?"
1: Uh, I think we discussed this before, didn't we?
0: Yeah, um, I think we. Everybody's on the record with that being or. and a year, a week from a year, <laughs> a week from today, we we may know.
1: Yeah, I mean in the city it's or and then I keep saying Belleville West. Yeah. Don't don't count them out. Uh I, I just I've raved and raved about this team and EJ Liddell and um the physicality that he brings and the dimension that he brings that you know, Simeon doesn't necessarily have to match and that's the one team.
0: Yeah, and that that's like a nice not nice, but that that makes a lot of sense because that's something I think we haven't talked about on the podcast or thought about is by the time you get to state, you've also got a team playing at like the peak of its powers, you know, that has won so many big games, that is on a winning streak because they have to be, that is really yeah. clicking on all cylinders. So that's going to help and that's going to be needed to beat this Simeon team.
1: Yeah, and that even happens and, you know, we see a team when we go back to that Lake Zurich uh, Main East sectional winners playing for a super sectional. Yeah. That's what you can never discount. So, somebody rolls through that Lake Zurich sectional, which we are calling weak and not very good, but they get this momentum and this mojo going where they get four wins, and maybe one of them is a buzzer beater, and they feel like they can beat anybody. And it's just a different team on that super sectional night, maybe. And that's what happens. Same thing in Peoria. I mean, there's scores in Peoria that you don't necessarily foresee happening. Whether it be Peoria or Richwoods hanging with Derrick Rose, the Simeon team, or uh, Bennett team playing Julia Okafor, Whitney Young team, tough. You know, there's things that happen in Peoria that aren't really explained, and part of it is what you just said.
0: Yeah, so we'll, we'll look towards that, but it'd be fun to see Belleville West. Um, next up is Jeff Doherty. He says, Hello, I enjoyed the article on the predictions for the sectional seedings. There were four DuPage Valley teams last year that won regionals. Naperville North, Wheaton South, Wheaton North, and Lake Park. With this being the last year for the nine-team conference, which four DVC teams have the best chance to win a regional in 2018?
1: The league is bad. After that top four, um, or wait, three. Wait, Naperville North, Naperville Central, Wheaton, Wheaton South,
0: Lake Park. You mentioned. I, I guess Lake, they won a regional. Um.
1: Yeah, well, they're five and seventeen, so they're not going to. But no, uh, other than Naperville Central, Naperville North, and Wheaton South, no one's going to win a regional. Um, Mattia's playing better, but you know, I, I, I don't see anybody winning a regional other than Wheaton South or Naperville North.
0: Yeah, it's a year where it's hard for me to speak in extremes, but I, I will say, and I hate. I don't hate, but I don't like picking this stuff before the we even know who they're playing or who's in the region.
1: Tr- yeah, that, that's that's true too. Um,
0: one thing, like factually going on, is that Naperville North is the only one hosting a regional. The rest of them are kind of spread out, so who knows how that'll be. Um, the other notable DuPage Valley thing is they're one of the few. They have one of the few big school winless teams. If you want to watch Gl- that kind of stuff, Glenbard North's zero and twenty-three, and I think Ouch. yeah, I think there's one other Round Lake, maybe. Might be the only. Well, I better get this right. I don't want to. Yeah, Round Lake is zero and twenty-three. I think. Those well, are... <laughs> and a-
1: after those top three in the DuPage Valley, the bottom six are at five hundred or below. Yeah. So that that's that doesn't. No matter the matchups coming, um, that doesn't bode well for it postseason doesn't. success.
0: <laughs> it does not, unless they all pull a Lockport. Um, all right, next up is hugh jasperson he says "Longtime listener appreciate all the great insight you guys do a great job wanted to know if a former player who won state has ever won it as head coach i know tim bankston had a good team a few years back but can't remember how far they went anyone you could see doing it
1: anyone who i could see doing it
0: uh, yeah i think the top contender do. is Donnie boyce right
1: yeah, I mean I I, I mean, I, I didn't get very far after Donnie Boyce. Um <laughs> you know, he came close to winning it his first two years as a coach at Proviso East, but you know, there is I just to find guys that, you know. Play, yes. p- played basketball. <laughs> I mean at, at a pretty high level is hard enough, you know. I mean, Nick Irvin never won a state title and he's a great bicycle player. Uh but yeah, I, I I, the answer is no. I mean, other than Donnie Boyce, I can't think of anybody that would.
0: Yeah. We've got some, the only other contenders I could come up with is Nate Minoy is a high school coach in Michigan. Um, so he would have to come back here, <laughs> but he has the state title and he was coaching here, you know, until this year. So that's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, and I was thinking about guys, there are some assistant coaches kicking around right now that, I was trying to think who's one actually won state. Julian Kenner at Young,
1: John Shire at Duke. Yeah, he doesn't come back. But
0: I've noticed I've noticed some <laughs> other guys. I, I'm just I don't think any of them won actual state titles except for Julian Kenner though. It's actually on the bench somewhere, but I will keep an eye on. It's an interesting question um, for sure. I feel like there's got to be somebody we, we're forgetting. But all right. Um, here next up, would you be opposed to a tournament of champions a week or so after the season, seeing all four state champs play in a tournament? What do you think, Joe?
1: I would be opposed. Uh, you I just, <laughs> I just, I just think it's done. It's over. It's, everybody's out of gas by the time that weekend is over in a three A four A tournament, in Peoria. Um, I mean, well, oh bring them all to. I don't want to see a 1a team play a 4a team I mean I that does nothing no interest in it at all
0: Aurora so. Christian Simeon
1: yeah no thanks
0: all right I uh, yeah I don't really care for that idea uh, he always say he uh, next question he says what we always hear sorry we always hear about the d1 players and rightfully so but who are some local players in the last five to ten years who would be on your all d2 D3 NAIA team
1: well I did all, you know, this is kind of what I do with the recruiting service and I, I kind of follow their careers when they do well. So it was somewhat easy research, but, you know, right now, some of the names that come to mind in division two, Max Mac Struess is everybody's boy that they, they <laughs> throw around. He, he was a stag, was a division two all American at, at Lewis in year two. And transferred, went to DePaul, sat out. Now he's a junior, leading DePaul. I think he's leading him in scoring. So first or second score for DePaul, but he he's the obvious one. Uh here are some other names though. I'm talking strictly high level big time products that I mean at the college level. Do you remember Daryl Williams from Dunbar? Remember that name? No. Really? Uh Six six kid, little known player out of Dunbar. He was all city, I think. Uh, wow! But ended up um, seven years ago, eight years ago. Oh wow! No, I don't remember. Um, maybe less than that. But he, he was just a recent All American at Texas A and M Commerce Division Two after spending time at Midland Junior College. Nice, uh, Corbin Thomas from Seton Academy. I was on that state championship team. Corbin Thomas was another six five six. He went to JUCO two years. Then he signed with Missouri State, Division I, played one year, and then got out, went to Division II Midwestern State. It's mm. about five or six years ago. He was All-American in his one year. Gage Davis of Bolingbrook oh, yeah. uh, went to IPFW, originally Division I, left, went to St. Cloud State, averaged 23 points a game last year at St. Cloud State. You know, there's some Division II. There's just a whole long run of, of Division three stars, though. I mean, and that's kind of Illinois gets hit hard. Lucas Johnson from Wheaton Academy, uh, he was the Division three National Player of the Year for Benedictine uh, just uh, recently, a couple years ago. Um, uh, another kid from the, the Benedictine team was Teron Harvey, Glenbard East Division three All American. Right now, down at Wash U, Kevin Cusera from Loyola Academy, uh, and Jack Nolan of Bennett Bennett played last year. One of the top freshmen in the entire country in Division three uh, at Wash U, which is a Division three powerhouse. Um, some interesting. He was an All American, a kid I've never heard of, Mike Jordan Robinson. From Schaumburg. Completely missed him. Do you remember the name? Nope. Probably five, six years ago. Just completed a career at North Park, Division Three, Chicago. Was an All-American, Division III. Uh, Krishan Orange of Jacobs. He's an All-American candidate right now at Augustana. Currently playing. Um, L- Lannan Gamble, Lockport. You remember him, right? Yeah. Was a star, North Central College. Doug Sexauer, Lockport. Great career, Illinois And Andre Norris, Plainfield Central, 2,000 career points at Dubuque. So uh, the Raritan brothers, Connor and Derek Raredon from Niqua Valley, they're both All-Americans at North Central. So there's a lot of Division Three. I go on and on, uh, of players that made high impact at that level.
0: Yeah, the only name I had was Big John Smith. Who remembers Big John Smith from Johnsburg? You got Johnsburg down to the uh, Elite Eight back in the long-ago they played John Shire and Glenbrook North in the first round. and
1: I was going to say, this... that's been longer than 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, they got destroyed. That, that's literally the only thing I have. Uh, John Smith won a national title um, D2 with, I think, Winona State? Does that make sense?
1: Somewhere in Minnesota. I know he went up there. Yeah,
0: um... That was it. I remember a Saturday afternoon turning on the television and John Smith, who I had not thought of, I'm sure, in the four years in between, <laughs> was on TV winning a national title. Um, all right, last question here from Hugh. Do coaches ever take in strength of schedule for sectional rankings? When did the IHSA get rid of meeting in person? We hit this earlier. Um, was it about 10 years ago, Joe? I don't
1: know. I'd say right around Something there. Something
0: like that, yeah. All right, next up, Brett Trainer: Is there an official repository for all high school box scores? Since they have scaled back or eliminated box scores from online or offline basketball coverage, it's hard to find detailed information on games. This You're telling me. <laughs> yeah, this is hard <laughs> on stat geeks. Brett, no, there is absolutely nothing official for high school box scores. There is not even anything official for the final score, period. The IHSA does nothing. We don't know why. I feel like they should all be sitting there getting the scores like they do for football. They don't.
1: Yeah, I, that that's one of my biggest issues, problems with the IHSA. Um those that don't, those that are always looking for uh, scores and and uh, standings, uh, Jack Gleason. I mean, Mike and I owe him a great deal of gratitude because he keeps track of this on is it HSBball.com? dot is that yes, the right? Yes, that
0: is it.
1: You know, and without that, uh, I I can't tell. I mean, we you cannot find scores. It's unbelievable in comparison to where it used to be the sport the very little thing of finding scores and standings and records of teams and and that's a shame I, it's just yeah you might get it in a local paper you know that local geographic area but i mean come on i mean ihsa has got to do something i mean I, that's not that hard
0: yeah no they, they they put it on newspapers and now we lost all of our money so we can't afford to do it anymore so now we've got nothing. It, it, it's, yeah, it's really horrible. I don't know. Well, and like, I mean, people who go on the website know that it's pretty irregular how often I put up the Associated Press scoreboard because A, they don't always send it to me. And B, it's often horrible with like, sometimes it'll be the whole wrong day. And sometimes they'll- Or just, wrong score. The scores will be reversed. They have like dyslexia. It's constantly reversed. So it's just, I don't even know if it's worth it. The score stream thing on the side seems much more accurate at this point. And I just feel like a lot of people don't know they need to go back a day sometimes to look at it. But right now that's much more accurate than the Associated Press. And Jack puts his stuff up early the next morning. Um, You know, I've actually been thinking about that. Maybe I should just put his stuff up the next morning. Um, I don't know if he'd be okay. I don't know. But It's a sad state of affairs. And in a way... We have some questions coming up later about attendance and this and that. I don't does the IHSA not understand I mean I do. I think most people do Major League Baseball does, NHL.com does. If you want people to follow a sport, you have to give them base information. There's yeah, three it build, things. It
1: builds builds yes. momentum. It scores it builds.
0: <laughs> Yeah, scores, standings and schedules. There's no point in having a sport unless you're gonna provide fans with those three things. And the IHSA is not doing that.
1: And it builds interest and it builds momentum towards week by week. And it generates dialogue and conversation with the sport. I mean, the little things just like that is, and I'm not saying that's going to fill Carver Arena in Peoria, but I, it's at huge. least it's huge. it at least helps. I, 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 uh, it's and the cost
0: is minimal. You know, we can't afford it anymore at the Sun-Times. You know, I'm the only full-time employee. I'm, you know of any consequence everyone else is freelance but it didn't cost that much when we used to do it the ihsa has an awful lot of people sitting in that office and you'd think somebody could put together yeah. some scores and standings
1: because Sun sometimes had standings every week um it went from like a full page to a half a page or whatever it was yeah. and up until i don't know seven years ago six years ago
0: something like that yeah Oh. Anyway, I think you know our take on that one. All right. John Thomas Michael Martinez is our first four-named question asker. It says, who are some of the best dark horses outside of the top four in their sectional to perhaps win a sectional title? Or perhaps more appropriately, who has the potential to knock off a top four in a regional? Uh, I used Joe's um, top four here, and I picked the teams I liked under that.
1: Anybody at Lake Zurich, <laughs> because I, I think anybody could Who win knows? that section.
0: Yeah, and right now you've got Conan outside of it, and you know I like them.
1: Yeah, um, I mean I remember you and I yeah. talking about this before. <laughs> Who would you pick in that section? I think we both picked Conan.
0: And they're probably going to be outside the top four. Maine East, um, you know, very deep over there. You got right now Joe's got Maine South and Saint Viator outside the top four, and it wouldn't be crazy to see either one of them pull that off.
1: No, May, I mean Saint Viator, Maine South, outside the top four, and I don't. Neither, neither one of them are going to crack the top four in that sectional when the seeds come out. So yeah, I mean that. And you look at, I know Conant was five. I mean Fremd is hurting right now. Bryce Hopkins is hurt. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Fremd pulled it out, one of a second if they were healthy. Um,
0: Glenn East, nobody... you got a slew of contenders there because that's everybody kind of equal uh, according to Joe's. Seeds, you got Willowbrook, Geneva, and Downers North all below four.
1: Yeah, I mean that's, and the top teams aren't world beaters. So, yeah, um, somebody could sneak through there.
0: And the other other one I had was Romeoville. They'll be at home. We know they have talent. We'll see if they turn it around. But kind of wow, Romeoville, the team. Yeah, I mean they have the potential to do it.
1: We're getting into February Mike
0: I know but <laughs> no
1: I mean yeah I mean they were blown out by Bolingbrook and West Aurora the top two teams by a combined 60 points um, that's why it's
0: yeah, little... Bolingbrook just lost to Lockport <sighs> these playoffs are going to be wild. <laughs> Andrew's gonna win the Bolingbrook sectional, or sorry, the Romeville sectional. Look out! All right, we gotta get rolling here. This thing's getting long, and I actually got places to go. Um, Daniel Day says, "What are your thoughts on the Orr Bogan and Curie Kenwood game coming? You like any upsets there, Joe? You think Kenwood can pull it off?
1: Absolutely not.
0: Woo! How about Bogan? They gonna come in and shock the Spartans? No. Yeah, I wasn't. You know, I saw Bogan beat Farragut. Uh, Farragut didn't have Reggie Strong. Pogan was good, but I was hoping it had been a bit since I'd seen them, you know, been a month, month and a half. I was hoping to see more improvement. Um, now
1: the hierarchy in the public league just really hasn't shifted much all year, to be honest. No. I mean it's we we thought that final eight would be who they are. Usually there's a lot of times upsets, or wasn't. Uh, I think the top teams are going to continue to advance. I, I just you know, that wave of, the next wave is going to be kind of filtered out here in this quarterfinal round, and then we'll get to the two great semifinal games.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it would be one thing if they were at a neutral site, but man, winning at and Curry isn't easy, even if you're equally matched. So, yeah, that's rough. Uh, next up, Jacob Irvin. He says, um, I'm a big fan of the podcast and read the notebooks nightly. One thing I enjoy is you covering an outlier that nearly nobody in and around the city has heard of. Last year was Justin Fox watch and this year it's Moments watch. Who is Moments and what intrigues you about this team? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, this actually all happened because of Joe Um I was looking over Joe's rankings of uh, the juniors and I was shocked to see a Moments player. In like the top forty or thirty in the junior class, which has never happened, I believe, since I've been looking at this, <laughs> it was uh, Lamarius Lillard, and he was—it wasn't some little guard that scored. It was a six-seven power forward from Moments. So I was like, "Wow, what is this?" And so then I did a little bit more looking around, and um, you know, he's got an older brother, Lamar Lillard, who's scoring. Yes, it's Lamar and Lamarius. <laughs> um, it is. He seems to be a really good high school player. And then I saw a picture of their gym, which looks like a really cool, fantastic place to go. Um, <laughs> and so then I just started found them. They've had a fabulous year, Moments. Um, and actually, it's finally going to happen. I'm finally going to get to go see them on Saturday afternoon. They're hosting Cisna Park at like 2 o'clock. And they're two of the best schools in that conference. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. It should be fun. But um, I didn't really plan on having another like Justin Fox type thing. Justin Fox just happened because... Their coach um, really was really good about sending in the scores and the highlights. So I kept seeing this kid was scoring 30 to 40 every single game. And so after like a month and a half, I was like, who is this guy? And got into it. And so that's kind of how Moments happened this year. But I'm really excited to go down there and check it out. Uh, Moments is, I guess, just east of like the Bradley Kankakee area, closer to the, like the state line. It's not too far away, actually. You know, It's well in the coverage area.
1: Michael Bryan, checking out the Sangamon Valley Conference Showdown.
0: I can't wait, but you know, I, I am, it's one of those things where, you know, I want to go do this, but I understand that my sometimes readers might not really care, so I have to, like, have a backup plan. Like, what if Sisson Park wins, you know? I, am I supposed <laughs> to, like, write a Moments losing, and they could, so what, am I supposed to write a Moments that... lo- losing angle?
1: For the Cisna
0: parks five and oh yeah, baby for the Sunday papers. That'd be really bad. So it's great that the game's at 2 PM because if moments wins, I'll probably just stick with that. But if they lose, I'll probably head up to Stevenson Bennett at seven and I can cover that one for the news. I just space.
1: noticed this conference has a team from Indiana in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. South Newton. Is it? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a, uh, it should be fun. I think they've lost to Watsika moments, but then they've beaten them. I, I don't remember. They might've lost to since Cisna park once. Um, but anyway, I'm um, looking forward to see if uh, Lamarius Lillard will live up to Joe's lofty rankings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, James Fanning. Um, over the years, you have been reporting on prep hoops. Has the overall attendance at the basketball games gone up or stayed the same or gone down? City versus suburbs, how has that changed at all, if any? With all the... Uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, what do
1: suburbs you have gone down significantly. It's almost depressing. The Rare game will have – the Rare school will get a good fan base going with the students. The Rare rivalry game will bring them – will still bring them out. But overall, I mean, it, it's it's bad. Uh, attendance is, is really poor. I think it's really taken a hit the last 10 to 15 years.
0: South suburbs, really depressing. Out of all the areas, it's the worst um, because it used to be at such a height – like, man, a Hillcrest HF game, which just used to be... I mean, I think it was originally played in the afternoons because the crowds were too crazy. And now just nobody's there. It's uh, The situation at Thornton's deeply depressing. Yeah, it's the South Suburbs is rough. City, there's a lot of factors because... <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. They used to play right after school, then they played later. I think the later helps a little bit with the crowd. More people are able to come. Less students sometimes. I'd say the City Conference games are about the same. Um, to me as they have been and the high profile games, the city title game has been really good the last few years. Um, but you know, that always used to be really good. So I guess it's kind of just about the same. Um, but yeah, South Silver was extremely depressing. Um, next up, Dave Hortman thoughts on Lake Zurich sectional, any favorites or dark horses? Uh, we've talked about this a bit. You got Stevenson, Lake Zurich, Libertyville, Barrington, who we haven't talked much about. who has a nice record. Conant. Warren kind of keeps me wondering they're able to pull stuff off down there, but it's wide open.
1: And a team that didn't even crack the top nine that I know a 2-3 seed is not going to want to play in a regional semifinal is Waukegan. <laughs> I know, <laughs> oh,
0: I, I
1: know uh, but I mean, you want to go play Brian Brown in your in your Tuesday tune-up for the championship game?
0: No. No, you don't.
1: I, I mean, that's – yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's going to be an interesting sectional, Dave. I don't think anybody knows what's going to go on there. Um, this uh, kind of moves in nicely to the next question. Um, Bryant says, uh, this is T-Dog again from Bloomington, I saw where Joe mentioned in one of his tweets this past Saturday that he has EJ Liddell as the City Suburban Hoops reports number one prospect in the 2019 class. Who does Joe have in the top five following EJ? And what's Michael's top five? Where would Francis Okoro and Chris Payton be on your lists?
1: Uh, Koro is two. I mean, right on the heels of Liddell. I mean, they're one, two, one, a one B almost. Um, the Hargrove kid down in, in East St. Louis, six foot four, six, three wing is number three. Marquise Jacobs, uh, uplift is four and Chris Payton from Bloomington is five.
0: Nice. I have no interest in doing a prospect list, but I'm going to give you a list. T dog, my top five high school players. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the uh, junior class. Um, number one is Bryant Brown for me. I think he might be the best and most productive actual high school basketball player in the junior class. Number two. He's
1: number, he's, he's number six on the prospect list. So, uh, we'll
0: Number two, Fred Cleveland. Big Fred Cleveland fan. He's a monster. Number three, Tyler Cochran of Brook, who has just been a, he's been incredible this year. I never would have thought he was going to make this list um, headed into this season. Um, then number four, then now we get, and I'm not quite as sure. Number four, I have Perry Cowan right now. I could be talked out of that. And number five, I got a kind of a tie between Marquise Jacobs and Zach Toussaint. I couldn't decide. I don't know if people are going to be like, they'll probably be depressed by that list, <laughs> but that's the junior class folks. All right. Uh, next up Dave Holm, um, was talk- uh, here we go here. Uh, he saw um, the small piece that Joe had in the City Suburban Hoops Report three pointer in the newspaper a couple weeks ago on Main West. He lives in the area and has attended some games and he's curious if guard Julian Dones is being recruited. D three maybe. I've watched him for four years and he's hard to get a handle on at times. He'll have a great game followed by one he kind of disappears in.
1: Yeah, that whole team is is. You know, getting a lot of Division Three uh, looks, and uh, including a kind of a late bloomer. Uh, I'll butcher the name, maybe the pronunciation, but Miloš My- Dugalic. You know, six five, six six kid. Um, he's averaging double figures. Julian Dones is probably their second leading scorer behind Jack Collins, a six five kid. So they've had a great year, Maine West. I mean, for a school that's done nothing, you know, it's been a yeah, this has been a really nice story. I had a group of kids that have been playing together and going to win a league, you know, um, I think I wrote, like, they had like like the previous two years before, um, they had gone like 10 and 50 or 12 and 45 or something. So, uh, yeah, they, they've last year they, they made a run, you know, not a, a nice little run, 117 games, but this year is, is definitely the best season they've had. Uh, do you remember the best Maine-West team in 25 years?
0: I get Maine-East and Maine-West confused. That says how good they are. at a... Which team was the team at State? Maine-East?
1: Uh, no, Maine-West. Lucas, yeah, Lucas, Lucas Johnson. And, yeah, I remember that team. I Kevin, just... Kevin Fry. Yeah,
0: I didn't remember. I don't, I don't
1: ever remember Maine-East ever. Has Maine-East ever been good?
0: No, nah, not that I, I – yeah. The only Maine other than South that I ever remember doing anything is that Lucas Johnson team. Um, yeah, I, I should go out and see that Main West team. I'm tired of watching all these other teams. Might as well go see a school having its best year in a long time. They're they're on the list, <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> next up, Tom Davis. Do you think the crowd has a has as big of an impact on the games as people think? Um, the crowd. Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, when it's the thing is usually when it's a rivalry game though. No matter what gym you're in it tends to be 60, 40 or almost 50, 50 sometimes because it's all juice. Like, like example, like that Maris brother rice game. I mean, brother rice had more price students than Maris did uh, up in that balcony. And that's usually the case. So I don't, I don't know. I think the home court factor is more about familiar area, familiar with the, the, the gym and, and comfort level. Um, I don't know if the fan. I mean, it helps obviously, but
0: I think I, it, just think I think it really
1: does. But when it's big crowds, haven't you found it to be where the big crowd, big games? It's it's like I said, kind of split.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't matter. Um, especially from talking to coaches, I'll ask about that. I mean, Simeon even comes to mind. Robert Smith hates playing at home and it's generally a hundred percent Simeon crowd because they don't, often don't let the other people in because he said the kids just play different and often bad in front of all their own people. And it's not, I think high school kids are greatly affected by crowds. I think it, whether it's anti their team or for their team, yeah, I think it has a major impact and talking to the kids too, um, after the games a lot, it, it's a, I think it might even have more of an impact than we think.
1: Um, Personally. See, I think it's positive impact. but
0: yeah, I, I think I, sometimes that might be true, but he's just saying, does it have a big impact? I think it can be positive or negative. depends on a lot of different factors. But, yeah, I think it is very impactful.
1: Because, by and large, the best games I see and the best performances I see are games where there's crowds. <laughs> and the games that are empty and the gym is bad and there's no crowds, I see more garbage basketball.
0: This is why uh, we throw out consolation actions. So, yes. I,
1: I, I mean... I don't think – I'm not calling them professional athletes or college athletes, but any athlete that's played the sport and has any kind of competitiveness in them, uh, they're extra juiced when you've got a crowd. I mean, it's just – it goes without saying. And, and you you have a different feeling when you're playing in, in front of a bigger crowd.
0: And in the city, you get a lot of – a lot of those games, there will be no one from your school. You know, and that's a big – like you mentioned the mayor's Brother Rice. You're right, you know, totally – Almost even, but man, when you come to North Lawndale or Lincoln Park, or I think that's what a young ran into there, there's nobody on you. You're, <laughs> you're literally ten men against the world, and and I'm sure that's super tough. Um, all right, Tom also says favorite thing teams to watch this year. You got any list, Joe?
1: Favorite teams, teams to, to watch? watch. Yes. Oh, this one I didn't prepare for. I'll do. Uh... That. I'll go
0: first. Then you know, <laughs> think a little bit. I um, I really like watching Leo this year. I know a lot of people think I'm insane for having them ranked, but I just think they've got an excellent team. I think they're athletes. They got some high level players. They play so hard, big Leo fan. I like watching them play, loved watching Andrew play. We talked about that on the podcast, um, a couple of times, not even sure what it is exactly, but, uh, Dan gear had Another big, big game. I don't know if you saw that. And, uh, you know, I really like watching Orr. um, and I've talked a lot about how people also think I'm wrong. I still don't think they're quite as good as last year. That doesn't mean I don't like... I really enjoy watching them play. I, I think they're a fun team with some very interesting personalities. Danny Smith and Wait Raekwon Drake are just great fun players to watch they play so hard you know you got chase adams he's got that flash on the perimeter they got the shooter with brian hernandez they, I feel, they just kind of fit well together ty is starting to play r- really well he, he was very good against young i think they're a fun team and we kind of know a lot about them all because of rick Tallender's series it always helps kind of when you know players and their backstories a little bit more so i'd say right now those are maybe my three favorites
1: yeah um <laughs> yeah I've seen teams that have looked good that I can't figure out if if, if brother rice has played well in front of me and uh yeah. when they've played well I've enjoyed watching them um but they've just been so so up and down um I've enjoyed this Evanston team uh I, they you know fast paced put points on the board this year you know without the big names like no eastern uh that they you know doing it a little differently um I too like or I like their toughness. I think their uh, their physicality. I think they're for a high school team. They're kind of grown men and and um, have gone away gone about it that way. But yeah, I mean it's as we we've noted there has not been a lot of like and I like all different types of teams. Like Mike, you hate watching Loyola Academy. I, I just from a I, I find it intriguing different teams doing it differently and yeah i I would prefer to see a 68 to 63 game a hundred times over but i do enjoy a systematic approach and the pure basketball of it of of seeing like how liola is getting it done with what they do and um yeah i mean i i've only seen leo one time all year so how many times you seen him you've seen him several times
0: Four, maybe, maybe more. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, um, but... Um, I don't hate watching Loyola um, blanket statement. I've liked some of the Loyola teams quite a bit. Um, I thought that one a couple of years ago it was going to go pretty far. I think they might have let me down. Um, but yeah, this current Loyola team, I, and I don't want to... I, I, uh, I've I always ended up been loyal in this podcast. I just think they're a little overblown this year now, ranking-wise and... They don't have big wins. It just, yeah, I'm not convinced. Um, I, and I, I, don't always hate the, lo- the <laughs> I don't always hate the low scoring style. You know, that's not true. I didn't. I liked watching Jack Nolan last year and Bennett. You know But, the way but I mean,
1: styles, but. my thing with, we, we again, I don't want to go into the debate, but the, like you've made comments of. You know any team that wins twelve out of thirteen games, do you know, to them playing well about team A or team B, and you know they rattled off all those wins. Um, You know we raved about Lincoln Park at one point. I mean, Loyola, I know it was early in the year. They dismantled Lincoln Park. Um, You know, I, I they part of their problem I think is they went out of state over Christmas, won four games. They're out of sight, out of mind for a two week period where high school basketball is really zoned in and locked in on holiday tournaments. That doesn't help their, you know, for conversations like this, for comparison speaking. You know, and we could I can only go by what Loyola tells me of the opponents they played in comparison to some of the teams they played here. Um, but I mean they've beaten the DePaul Prep, it's a good team. They've beaten St. Viator. And they don't. They haven't lost. And then I, you, I also saw them play that Detroit team. So that's why I think they are where they are, and I think it's about right of where they are.
0: Yeah, I, uh, where I have them is fine. But you should see where some other people have them.
1: Well, where do you have them?
0: 20, 21. Oh, still too low.
1: Yeah, they're they're. I mean, their body work compared to some of these other teams. Yeah, they're, they're that's too low. But that's okay. That's just your opinion versus mine.
0: Yeah, I don't... I mean, their best win is, what, Viator?
1: Well, to Paul Probb, probably.
0: And they lost to him.
1: Well, I know, but they beat him. I mean, they turn around 36 at 48 hours. Um, their best win is actually over the De- Detroit team. But, uh, you know, they lost to Evanston by three in a heartbreaker.
0: I mean, that's a good point. They don't have bad losses. Their losses um, are all too... It's Nutrier, Trier, what, Rita, Evanston...
1: All by one yeah. possession or two. I just, I mean, their their body at work is not, I don't think is as bad as kind of what you're indicating.
0: Yeah, I don't. they don't have a bad loss, which in this season, as we've talked about, is a big deal. I just, when your best win is Viator or DePaul Prep, that's going to keep you lower. Because, I mean, as much as we talk about these teams with bad wins, some of them have great, bad losses, some of them have great wins. You know, so that's. I'll take a team with a great win and a and a bad loss over a team with okay wins, is my rankings philosophy generally. Which is why Lincoln Park and Brook stuck around. And Saint Rita, for that matter. Um you know, St. Rita's what got ten losses now and everybody's on my case about it, but
1: yeah. I just kind of see it as lightning in a bottle in some of those cases. Like I mean, Lincoln Park Lincoln Park was ranked in the top ten at one point and I just didn't ever see Lincoln Park. I guess they beat Whitney Young in that game, but I just never saw. I mean, and I'll take Lyola over Marist. I see Marist a number of times. I, I, you know, I take them in a heartbeat over over Marist.
0: Wow. Yeah, I would definitely would not. Um, That's interesting. Wow.
1: Take Lyola over Bennett.
0: Ooh, there's a good one. I have no idea. I need that's why I was talking about going to see Bennett on Saturday. They're clearly a much different team um than the team that left Pontiac. So Who they got Saturday? Uh Stevenson.
1: They play somebody Friday. I think I was maybe going to see them Friday.
0: Probably. But yeah, I need to see them because yeah, I feel like I do not have a handle on current Bennett. I need to see current winning streak Bennett. Um all right, sorry. We got really too long distracted with that one. Um
1: Matthew Rubin. Uh-huh. Oh, go ahead. It was Bennett's wins, though. In that streak.
0: Oh, in the 10-game winning streak? Um, yeah, I mean... Not great. What, of the St. Marist um, in overtime? St. Charles North, I think. Um, yeah, those are the two best wins.
1: Yeah. They lost to Vider.
0: Yeah, they've got that Fenwick win.
1: Lost to Paul propp
0: Early. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I and Bennett did not play well at all when I saw them at Pontiac, so I am not... Yeah. To, I was not excited about them, but now they've ripped off some wins. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but they do have that Fenwick win. That I know that was, I think it was the first week of the year. That's super early, but um, and Fenwick's lost to an awful lot of teams, but it still shows a little bit of potential. Okay, we gotta get rolling here. I, I'm going to the or movie tonight. That's what I need to get to. The uh, it's gonna be on Fox Sports. You guys can all watch it. Um, but Daniel Poneman's movie, he's a producer. I think Chance the Rapper and Dwayne Wade are now the producers. <laughs> they signed on, but originally it was Daniel Poneman, who I'm sure a lot of you know. Um, the movie's premiering tonight on the south side, so I'm headed down there. I was—I helped out a little bit with it. Um, but, yes, let's get going. I think we have two left here, Joe. Oh, three, three three. Three left, and they have multiple questions. Matthew Robbins says, Hey, Mike and Joe, with 3A and 4A seedings being voted on and revealed this week, I'm curious if some light can be shed on the process behind it all. Um, We talked a little bit about this, Matt. Uh, Matt wants to know, is it the head coaches? Yes. Do they all get together in person and decide in front of one another? No, they used to. Do the newspaper and AP polls have any influence? Possibly some of them look at it. I don't know. Um, I guess that's about it. Um, One additional question, since there were so many cancellations this past Friday due to weather, and many of those games might not be made up until after the seedings are released, is it pretty much just an unfortunate situation? Yeah, I think so. It's going to really hurt Niles North, probably. Um, or Nutrier. Yeah, I, I mean, if they'd have won.
1: Yeah, I mean, Nutriar plays, like Maine South, Evanston, Niles North, all like in a week span, I think.
0: Um, yeah, that Friday night game was going to be big um, and it doesn't look like they're going to play it before that. So and I'm sure there's I'm sure that's happened in a few other sectionals, you know, that we're not aware of. So definitely taking a Friday night out right before the the seedings without time to make it up is definitely a rough situation. Um, Ronell Chapman, he wants to know who is the closest to Greg Popovich and Bill Belichick of high school basketball coaches in Illinois. And he says for answering questions while talking to them. So I guess he means just like good interviews
1: yeah, you do more interviews uh, after games. I spend more of my time talking off season with them. You know, a lot of summer stuff uh, during the year on the phone. I mean, I don't. There's dozens of them that I enjoy talking to.
0: Yeah, I, I have. Um, but I'll tell you one thing. I guess you guys, no shot clock podcast listeners, keep this to yourselves. But high school basketball coaches are a lot better to talk to than high school football coaches. <laughs> oh. Man, this is only my third or fourth year doing that, and that's a nightmare. I, I do not. Um, that's not. That's not great. Um, basketball coaches much better. Um, I don't know who comes to mind. Um, as somebody that I've dealt with more recently, you know, I covered trier a fair amount, but maybe twice a year. I'm, I see Rick Malnati a lot more now, and he's always got some good quotes usually that I that I can get in the paper that are fun stuff. Um, Arthur Goodwin at Bogan is excellent. He will call out his players. He did it just again this week. He'll also rip the other team's players. He'll say all sorts of stuff. Um, I think everybody knows about Nick Irvin. Um, I was trying to think uh, real quick. I didn't research this one. There, There's a lot of guys and a lot of guys who know the game well that'll say some cool stuff to get in the, the newspaper. Um, th- that's always fun. Um, who am I? Uh, I'm blacking out on other names at this point. But, yeah. I'll think about this, Renel, and get back to you if there's any more. Um, then, Renel, sorry, we're going to get through this one quickly. Mentioned the top available players looking for D1 offers that we talked about. Um, how, how much does low-to-mid-major D1 schools not offering high school seniors have to do with the high emergence of foreign players and prep school kids? Are D1 colleges in Illinois perhaps holding out for foreign players or prep school kids and transfers? And that's why these other kids aren't getting offers. He sees a lot more foreign kids and prep school kids on rosters now. Then he talks about Austin Ritchie, Jermaine Cuisnard getting D1 offers. They weren't in high school. Um, and now we just talked about it earlier. We're seeing Austin Trice getting an offer.
1: Yeah, the one, the one part he mentioned is very true, and that is the transfer market has changed recruiting of seniors, you know, guys that don't sign, simply because – Everybody now tries to keep an open scholarship because there are six, seven, eight hundred transfers in college basketball. And they do not want to be sitting there with a high school kid um, that they may not be as sure of as they would be a college kid who's transferring um, either down levels or, you know, it's just a, and the whole senior, fifth year senior grad. Uh, transfer in college basketball everybody wants a scholarship open so uh, I think that does limit the opportunities sometimes but in the same token sometimes there's so many holes to fill on a program that they will I see kids get recruited at a higher level sometimes in the spring than they really should out of high school in some cases simply because the lack of numbers available to recruit and at, at that point and that's like a flyer on somebody, knowing sometimes that they really aren't even good enough. And they still take them um, for that particular level. So that's a little bit different, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We used to see a, yeah a whole lot of that. Um, Ronell ends with he was amazed by Francis Okoro and especially, especially E.J. Liddell. He was watching the Bank of O'Fallon shootout live stream. With the way Brook is withering right now, I hope I can see E.J. Liddell live in person for the first time in Peoria. Bloomington came to Chicago twice this year. Chris Payton is nice, but is there any talk of bringing Okoro or Liddell up to the area next year? Joe, will you bring them to us? Yeah, I um,
1: I, I was close to having both, actually, um, but the calendar did not work for Belleville West for my uh, When Sides Collide shootout at Glenbard East. Francis Okoro from Normal West is the... Um, Will be coming up. So they will be playing up here. I don't have an opponent quite yet lined up. And then I had Belleville West, and they have a shootout that night of the, at the same time. So aren't, they were all ready to come, and they, they, they couldn't make it. So hopefully, I mean, because I think, you know, when you have the two best players in the state of Illinois, prospect wise, and probably E.J. Liddell is going to be the best player um, in the state next year, regardless of class, that. Chicago fans can't see him, it, it, it does stink for them. I mean, there's no question if you got to wait for Peoria. Kind of like the old days where I remember as a kid and hoping, because I went to the state tournament every year, Mike, and as a kid, and you would hear about LaFonso Ellis. <laughs> and oh my gosh, I want to see LaFonzo Ellis. You know, that was in the uh, mid late 80s. And you're just hoping that you St. Louis Lincoln made it to Champaign and you'd get to see guys like. Lafonso ellis or ed horton from springfield Landfair. so that's kind of how it is now usually though uh we do get to see you know with all the shootouts and
0: okoro may make one visit for sure next year yeah hopefully uh mike oliver if you're listening i have no idea if mike oliver has ever listened to the podcast but mike if you do the team rose shootout we would he brought did a great job bringing in danville that was a lot of fun uh the Danville Or game still one of the best games I've seen this season. Let's get Belleville West or um Normal West up here. Robert Smith and Tyrone Slaughter. I know they listen to the podcast. So Chicago League Classic, we are waiting. Forget the St. Louis teams. Bring us Belleville and Normal. Um and finally, we have the I saved the best for last. Alex Andre and Renell Chapman there. That's why I saved them for last. They are our two top uh Two of the top, I should say, question askers. Alex Andre says, and "This is this is one that oh everybody's gonna love." Going back to 2005, you back, Joe? It's 2005. The Illini are what? number one in the country, <laughs> and they're making a run to the Final Four. What was the feeling about the Illini around the high school basketball community here in Chicago? He's talking players, coaches, AAU coaches, et cetera. I know the state was buzzing and that team was treated like rock stars by alumni. But ultimately, the recruiting following that run wasn't great.
1: The first significant thing that you can pinpoint as to the fall of the Illinois basketball program oh. were the immediate years following that, that team. You know, the D Brown team, the, the next year. Was still really good. They were still in the rankings, so it wasn't like that. Two thousand five, then dead. But yeah, they they were the. It was a buzz. I mean, they were a national. They were a national hit, <laughs> and it you. That's when you have to strike big. You have to land. Uh, I don't care who it is, outside of the state, in state. You have to capitalize on that situation that just Illinois has never had before. And they were not able to do it. If you went back and look at the following three, four years of recruiting classes, it's bad. Dimitri McCamey by far the best recruit they landed uh, in in those four years. So that was the beginning of where we're at right now uh, with Illinois basketball.
0: Yeah, it's rough. Um, I guess, Alex, you're 100% right. There was a lot of buzz. I, I, I have to say, though, it never felt, Bruce Weber at least was never able to really capitalize that in the city in the in the c p s in general. He had some more difficult characters coaches kind of dealing with some things then you know there was the whole Patrick Beverly thing um the, the, he and Marshall you know they also they had some other good players, never really hit it off right. it just it never really connected for Bruce Weber in the city um for whatever reason. I feel like in the suburbs things were better for him definitely um but yeah and then now you look back and there's so many players in the nba from that era i mean
1: yeah it, there was i'm not saying there weren't any players in the city but like uh, like 2000 the derrick rose class there was no players really in the city um it was evan turner and McCamey and you know Jacob Pullen from Proviso East. I mean, pure publicly guys that weren't. I mean, the best public guys in that class were like Brandon McGee from Crane and I don't know Tim Flowers and so anyway. I it, 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 we can go on and on. This is a whole different topic and subject, but the fact is, they just they were not be able. You know, there's there was misses. Evan Turner was one of them. Iman Shumpert was one of them. Um, you know. I... Well, on and on and on in those two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight classes. Obviously, Shire. Uh, so there were guys to hit on uh, and hit big, and they they failed, and that's just and you know that there, was deep. The,
0: there were stories, you know. I, I don't get into too many specifics, but I remember being at I think it was the, the Paul team camp at Moody, like that when and hearing about like things. I guess went might have went pretty bad. When Evan Turner told Illinois he wasn't coming there, and you know, word spreads around, and see, I I do feel like there there was like a thing where Bruce Weber's regime kind of failed to capitalize on that. They're, they're just the
1: well, there's no doubt. I mean, they completely struck out. I yeah, mean, but I mean,
0: it, was, it wasn't just because like certain players. The, the feeling, which is what Alex, I think, the feeling wasn't great, and it should have been.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then everybody. I, the the, the the my second thing that happened is they had this kind of rejuvenation even after all these misses. That's
0: true. With yeah.
1: with yeah. Jeremy Richmond, I was Paul. like, oh yeah. wow, Jeremy Richmond yeah. and Myers Leonard. I mean, Myers Leonard was a top thirty player, and he's in the NBA. Um, Brandon Jeremy Richmond was
0: a great player, and he's in the NBA. I mean, yeah.
1: but 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 the Jeremy Richmond thing killed Illinois basketball. Yes, I mean, you got a McDonald's All American who is enormously talented was a, a huge figure in high school basketball for four years in the state. And you got nothing out of him. I mean, and that's really no fault of Illinois, for the most part. Uh, and then the Myers-Leonard thing, it's just it's what basketball is now. I mean, he wasn't ready for the NBA. He was a seven-footer who could run, jump, and had potential. And they all go pro now after one or two years. And before you get anything really out of them. And before Myers-Leonard... They really were able to – he did nothing as a freshman, had a decent sophomore year, and poof, gone. Um, So, I mean, those – That's not even
0: the worst part. Crandall Head was a plus. Yes, that's what I – Crandall Head. That kid, soft. I mean, he was amazing.
1: He he was amazing. Everybody was excited. He fell off of the face of the earth as a basketball player. He got hurt. Partly due due to injury, but also the makeup there just – but, I mean, nobody could have faulted for taking Crandall Head early.
0: No, exactly. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. That, that was, they got literally nothing out of him, and that kid looked like he was going to be the next Mr. Basketball.
1: Um, I mean, that, that was just bad luck on
0: that one. Exactly, yeah. That class, talk about just – what year was Ben Moore? The Bolingbroke no, that, kid? That, that, that was John Gross. Okay, was that late? All right, who's the last uh, – No, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying,
1: if, if, if the Richmond thing didn't go so bad – and Crandall had went so – and that's a darn good class at one point. You're thinking, oh, all right. Yeah. And then you follow up that great 2011 with, with, with the guys that they recruited and got early commitment, like Tracy Abrams. Eh. I mean, that's the group. I mean, Michael Henry's in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> and they got nothing out of him at, at Illinois. Um, Nana Agu is a good – you take him, he's a good big man. But then – the Blackshears, the chasen Randalls, the Boatwrights, the Kaminsky's. I mean, uh, you, they they just missed on that class in a loaded class. And they took the, and they had the wrong guys. Mike Shaw was clearly overrated. A lot of people didn't. I mean, I he wasn't even in my top ten in the class. Um, by the time he was a junior, people still liked him. I don't know why. Uh, Tracy Abrams was blossomed as a freshman. They took out an early commitment. I mean, meanwhile, these other guys, look at the chasing and handle. Another huge, huge miss for recruiting. But we go on and on about this, stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, last question. It's been a marathon. You ready, Joe? Yeah. This, this one's easy. Andre, <laughs> Alex's first one was a doozy. He gives us a nice easy closer. Who runs the IHSA? Is it a person <laughs> or a group of people? Which, you know what? I think it's a good question because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people don't know. Um, right. Alex, Craig Anderson is currently, he's running the IHSA. This might be his second or third year. It was Marty Hickman for a long time. Um, it is though a, a group of people. They, um, has a Almost. board of directors made up of like people, principal, some principal, some other people. And then they have like 30, 40 full-time employees that run the different sports. But the way things get done, the IHSA will always be the first people to tell you that they are not making decisions. They are a member organization, and their members are all the schools in the state, all 700-whatever schools. And those schools vote on everything that happens. And so they say, you don't like four-class basketball? Schools voted on this. Don't come to us. Come to the schools. But as usual, the truth is somewhere in between.
1: Yes, because the way they did that vote was garbage, yes. and that's a whole other podcast. Exactly,
0: but, anyway. <laughs> but but the answer, the Craig Anderson is the head of it. They are a member-run organization. They claim, um, and the Sun Times did a, a actually a long series I worked on with um, Chris Fusco, kind of looking into the finances and the way the IHSa runs. You can find that on the Sun Times website. Um, we got in a bit of a dispute with them, and the Better Government Organization did trying to get their Basically, because they're run by tax dollars, and sometimes and other media organizations think that we should be able to FOIA them. Um, Freedom of Information Act request, we should be able to see everything they do because we pay their salaries, like is the case with most other government organizations. The IHSA says that isn't so, and I believe the last... It might still be going on, but right now, I think the newspapers lost the, the lawsuit the first time, so we still don't know everything about what's going on with the IHSA. But anyway, that will... Wrap it up. I think we're we're short of the two hour mark, just barely. But uh if you're still listening, thank you very much and uh have a great week, everybody.